Do you invest in ETFs? Whether you're thinking, what in the world is an ETF? Or you're looking for the next opportunity to add to your portfolio. GlobalX has you covered. From big tech to bonds and bars of gold, GlobalX offers a wide range of exchange-traded funds. Go beyond ordinary with GlobalX ETFs. Visit globalxetfs.com.au. That's globalxetfs.com.au. Are you thinking about starting your wealth-creating journey but not sure where to put your hard-earned dollars? InvestSmart can help. InvestSmart offers a free quiz that makes it easy to find the right InvestSmart ETF portfolio to help you reach your goals. Just visit investsmart.com.au and hit get started. Answer a few simple questions about your goals and how much you want to invest and you'll get a tailored statement of advice with a portfolio recommendation. You can visit investsmart.com.au for a no obligations free statement of advice. This ad is brought to you by InvestSmart Advice, AFSL 334107. Hey there, here's a quick note. This podcast contains general financial advice only. That means it's not specific to you, your needs, goals, or objectives. So don't act on the information until you've spoken with your financial advisor. You'll find our full disclosure, disclaimer, and link to our financial services guide in the show notes. Drew, son, welcome to this Australian Investors Podcast episode. Good to be here. Yes, Drew Meredith uh, is how I should introduce you, not Drew Sun. Um, but <laughs> also known as Andrew Derrimuth. Andrew Derrimuth, many other names. I think Andrew Derrimuth is going to be retire after. <laughs> looks like another rate hike on the card. So. <laughs> another, yeah, that'll be four, <laughs> four notches against your name. So do you think interest 2033? rates- 2033? Can I push to 2033? Do you think- That's actually probably the number one talking point. Will interest rates go higher from here? Doctor? <laughs> well, in in positive news for Dr. Terramuth, yeah, two of the most- uh, outspoken shorts on bonds, so people yeah. who were expecting you know bond values to fall, so yields to keep going higher, have exited their positions this week. So Bill Ackman is at Pershing Square or Pershing Holdings, yep. and Bill Gross. I'm not sure that Bill Gross actually manages money anymore. If he's no, I don't just, know what he's doing. Yeah, tweeting. Do you call it tweeting still, or is it Xing? Xing. Xing. That sounds familiar. Yeah. Yep. Go for it. Tweeting uh, that he closed out his positions on uh, yeah, short positions in long dated U.S. Treasuries. So basically cut their bets that bond yields were going to keep rising. They hit 5%, so the highest they've been in 16 years uh, in the last two weeks. Didn't he say that, I could be wrong, but this is the same bill that said that the German Bund, the 100-year German Bund was like the, the greatest short of all time or something he called it? Possibly. Because it, it was like negative and he's like, this doesn't make any sense. It stayed negative for yeah. a long time. Yeah, and I think Longer he was wrong. his career. I think, yeah. he, I think he was wrong for a while, but maybe he's right now. Finally. Finally, yeah. yeah. Well, the Bunds must be like 3 or 4% Surely. yield on that now. Yep. Surely. But who can predict interest rates out for 100 years? <laughs> <laughs> well- Zero. That, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah, it's interesting. So, I reckon, I don't know, I feel like there's a lot of pain washing through the economy that inflation's just not capturing. Or it could be the opposite. Could we be fine? You know, because the whole, the whole reason we're talking about, correct me if I'm wrong, the whole reason that we're talking about interest rates potentially going higher again is because of the unemployment figure that came out for September. And inflation. Well, I didn't see that. Inflation came out yesterday, 1.2%, so okay, 0.1% higher than uh, what was expected. And the rates dropped from 6 to 5.4, but slightly higher than expected. And anything that's slightly different to expectations, even though we know expectations are never correct. <laughs> expectations versus reality. So, there's a, you know, Melbourne Cup Day meeting is now a live meeting for the RBA and they could raise rates again. Yeah, right. Okay. Melbourne Cup Day. Yeah. 
What a day. <laughs> that's, a, that's a public holiday, isn't it? It is. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. We, well, we enjoyed a, got to partake last year. <laughs> yes. Um, well, okay. So, okay, doctor, I need your forecast, short-term forecast, 30-day <laughs> forecast. Will interest rates be higher than they are now? Bond yields? No, no. Official interest rates. In fact, are you betting same. on- They'll Same. They'll be same in 30 days. They're I not agree. cutting. There's I, no chance they cut. I agree. Imagine if they did surprise cut. Everyone was like, guys, we're celebrating. It's Richard's birthday. We're going to cut interest rates. We're going to be tipsy at the board meeting. <laughs> yeah, that's it. But uh, yeah, I reckon they stay the same until the end of the year. Because I don't think, like everything is pointing to a lot of pain for a lot of the economy. Yeah, I think it's split though. Like if you don't have a mortgage if or I'm- if you've got capital and you're retired, this is where a lot of our clients are from, yeah. they're actually- They've got more income than they've ever had because they can get 5% in cash now. So, they have more money to spend and that's what's driving inflation. I think a lot of the people that have mortgages and are feeling the impacts have already stopped consuming. And you're seeing the kind of restaurants are still popular, but uh, goods yeah. are, are falling. Yeah. So, that could just be an example. More, more and more people with money going out and less people consuming on product. Well, I just think, like we always talk about this. Imagine you're a retiree, you got a million bucks, you got 5% ING term deposit or whatever you got. Um yeah, you know, 50, 50 grand in your pocket for, for, for literally 10. no risk. It used to be 10. Well, I can't I, ASIC, I didn't say literally no risk. I said low risk. Four-term uh, deposits of four-term, four different institutions, yeah. and then it's no risk. Yes, it's government, government. Yeah, government Yeah, $249,999 in each ADI. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, well, when you think about that, like you would just, you'd be going to insert restaurant name, 10 times more than you went two or three years ago if you're in a conservative allocation. And that was a problem with markets over the last five, six years when interest rates were near zero. We were chasing, not we, but people were chasing high dividend stocks or moving further and further out the risk In curve every asset class. To find anything that could give them some level of income or, or yeah. return. Property, you know, retail property was selling at like an income of 2.5%. Yeah. Well, still kind of is resi property not, to. not doing it's too great at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, springtime is normally the interesting time of year for a resi property. So check out the Australian Property Podcast where you can get insights from some legends over there. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a really interesting dichotomy. What a word between <laughs> like we we see this. People forget this, I think, because we haven't seen it for a while in Australia. Is in times of crisis, this is when you see the the dirty word is inequality. But what you actually see is People who have money getting wealthier and people who are liability rich or poor in this case, yeah. they get further behind because they can't diversify. That's one of the key things that people forget is that people, when you have means, you can diversify. And that may mean a smaller return in the longer run, but you've got a bigger asset base, so it doesn't matter as much. Whereas, say, for example, someone who's got some sort of consumer debt, like a car loan, which has gone up, and a big mortgage, which has gone up, you don't have the ability to diversify. No, everyone says try and make more income. I think you've said that too, haven't you? Yeah. It's, that's a, that's not a, easy. That's a, a financial advisor's favorite joke. <laughs> more income. <laughs> more income, please. <laughs> but it's, yeah, the reality is that that's, that's your choice. And we, we do, for some people, we do have, uh, I think there's a, something going on in, I don't have data to back this up, off, but this is just anecdotally what I'm saying, is I think we're also seeing a bit of a dichotomy. That's going to be the word for this <laughs> word week. <of> the day. <laughs> yeah. See if we can use it this afternoon. Yeah, we're I'll filming go. ahead of the retirement event yeah. for Waddle. Yeah, we've got the Waddle Partners retirement event in Melbourne this afternoon. So I'll try and bring up dichotomy <laughs> for anyone that's there. Um, but we're seeing that in our industry, the finance industry, we're seeing people at the, the newer or lower end of the kind of career spectrum. So like 
within five years out of uni. It's really easy to get a job. Yeah. But you go further up, it's really difficult to get a job. And so in the employment market, some people are finding that they can get pay rises really quickly by switching jobs, but a lot of people aren't getting kind of the, the increase that they think they're getting by staying put uh, because they're, and that because their employer is too scared to start increasing wages at a, such a rapid pace. Yeah. And it's it's just an interesting thing because obviously this whole risk of changing careers, but I think that it's it's a joke, but it works. Like other than cutting your costs, you got to earn more in this crisis. Yeah. For people, that's the only choice we have. And then you've seen immigration. So I think to September we had we'd already met our year's expectation of immigration returning to Australia. Incredible. So it's it students is. back, uh, travel, you know, working, travel and working or working visas, travel visas yeah, yeah. are all back at, I think it was a half a million in to September and that's usually a full year intake. Well, they were forecasting 700,000, I think. Yeah. One of the things that the predictions seem to have got wrong is the uh, people leaving Australia. There hasn't been nearly as many people leaving Australia. Yeah. So, net migration has net, been net, That's why net, net migration has been huge. Um, and Pete on the property podcast talks about this a lot. Those people- at least in the first year, tend to become renters yep. and then they would look to buy. But if you think about that, like the rental crisis, there's a lot going on when you've got so many people trying to fit into a small place um, with building developers going bust. Yeah. Um, or property developers, I should say. Um, so, yeah, it's a really interesting, I don't think interest rates will go up. That's my prediction. I reckon it'll stay put. No, I, I agree. I think there's a risk to unemployment from the surge in immigration as well because yeah. we know that was kind of a unique situation prior that overseas workers were never included in included in employment figures. Mm. So if they start taking jobs, naturally, if you're coming here to work and travel, uh, then you can see traditional unemployment increase at the same time. Yeah, true. There was actually quite a few people leaving the. So in that September ABS figure, there was actually quite a few people leaving the jobs market. Uh, the participation rate yeah, fell. Yeah, yeah. And people probably underestimated that. You know, if there's people leaving, obviously the unemployment rate looks a bit better, like tighter. So, interesting. Um, but it's also like the story in the US is pretty interesting where, you know, bond yields at 5%, which means every bond that matures, every government debt that matures has to be refinanced or reissued. Mm. And they can obviously reissue it any period they want. They can say well, this is a seven-year, 15-year, 20-year, 100-year bond if they want to. Yep. But the the rollover is going from like 1% or 2% to 5 or 4 to 5%. So, their interest cost is increasing quickly. Yeah. And you'd think at some point that becomes a, you know, a political issue potentially. Well, it kind of is. The debt ceiling is kind of a political issue, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I think that's the greatest greatest fear amongst basically everyone in the world is uh, what can the central banks do with their balance sheet? And the idea would be that you have more inflation. So once you're over- would be. What, well, the idea would Not be- interest rate hikes inflationary. We could do this again. <laughs> but it is. But it is, right? Yeah. Like that would be the idea that if you inflate away the debt. Yeah. So the debt's worth less. Like if you take, let's take, for example, the German You're bond. increasing your tax takings by, yeah. Yeah. And it's probably, that bond is probably worth 60 cents on the dollar now. Yeah. So in effect, the absolute amount of that bond is less. But the problem is they're not running at surpluses. They're running at deficits. deficits. So we can't- <laughs> pay off the kind of liabilities as they fall due. We have to refinance. That's the big risk. And I heard- We can pay them off when we talk to Bill Mitchell. <laughs> well, yeah, we just use the money that we've got in the printing press out the back. Yep. But- That's just a- Yeah, just move that- calculator. Move that, move that number from there to there. Um, but- it Wouldn't be inflationary. No? Not any more inflationary than it already is. Oh, well, it already is, is yeah. <laughs> We're just paying off the same- bill. You're just paying off the same thing again and again and again, right? Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, but there, I was listening to a podcast this morning, cannot remember for the life of me, O'Keefe, was his, Dan O'Keefe, a uh, value investor from the US, he was saying that at this point of the business cycle, the government of the United States should probably be making a profit. Yeah. Like it should, or at least near break even, but it's not. And that's one of the big issues is it's not near break even. So its balance sheet is under a bit of pressure. It doesn't have to make a profit though. It doesn't have to. And that's the thing. Like if you look at Germany, it does make a profit. So not making is, is a profit better off? means more money is staying within the economy yeah. versus being taken from the economy. Yeah. And that's probably where the problem is coming from, which is fiscal policy, not monetary policy, mm. that governments are stimulating the economy still too much mm. uh, through government spending. Mm. Absolutely. Um, I did actually see a bit of a headline on this, Drew. I've got it. So you've got it in the notes as well. I went pretty hard on that. Yep. Was the Magellan CEO, was it pushed? It sounded like mutual decision. What does that mean in reality? Mutual decision to leave is probably like one side said, I want to leave or you need to leave. Once in this case, I feel like they said, you need to leave. And he said, sure. <laughs> but he's still on, uh, I, I could, could be wrong. So this is Magellan Financial Group CEO. Um, is departing after about 18 months in the role. Yeah, I think he joined early last year. So yeah, David George joined from the Future Fund. Yeah. So the non-public kind of call it a private institution. Yeah. And I think taking over a a listed funds management business that, in list, that invests into listed equities was always going to be a massive challenge. Yeah. And the company, like we're, one thing we saw, I think I've talked about on here, that kind of concerned us was when the group had fallen from $110 billion to like $40 billion in assets under management, mm. but the five-year target was to return to $100 billion. Yeah. Um, and that's what the new CEO or the interim CEO came out and said is, you know, our focus isn't on growing assets under management, it's delivering better outcomes for our clients. So it's kind of switching that. Yeah. mindset of the business straight away. Going back to what it was originally. I'm sure they take 100 billion in assets. Yeah, if you gave them 100 billion, yeah. Um, th- it's interesting because like uh, we, Magellan was a, I should acknowledge, it's a very small sponsor of the uh, roadshow that we did in Sydney recently. Uh, it was a great event. We had Alyssa DeMarco come and speak there along with Caroline Gurney from FutureGen. It's actually like in my dealings with Magellan, they've always been very like highly credentialed, very kind of like ethical, very, very good in the way they operate their business and they conduct yeah. themselves. And I can't really speak highly enough of them as a business, to be honest. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like if your talisman kind of steps back for a, a while um, and a lot of people had placed a lot of key person emphasis and risk on that one person, I guess it does at the end of the day. It's a very big shoe to fill. Even in today's modern era, we say, you know, it's a process, it's investment philosophy of the firm. You got to sail. We met a manager the other day, and they were very much about the <clears throat> the the end of the rock star fund manager. Right. So they're Ken Nielsen, the Hamish Douglas, maybe Warren Buffett's still there. Yeah. But ending that idea, and their one of their views was that the PM or the CIO doesn't have veto. It's a you know it's a committee decision to get a stock mm. in, not a single person. Um, but I mean, it worked for. <laughs> 15 years. So. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. They do work. The thing is, if people do something different and they're right, they're going to make a lot of money. Yeah. yeah. You know? Uh, and it's like we look for in CEOs. Like you could say Mark Zuckerberg with Meta or Facebook. He has so much voting control. But for the most part, okay, for every one Mark Zuckerberg, there's probably 10 that has voting control and it completely blow up the company and benefit <laughs> for them for their own benefit. But he's an exception where you want him to have control because he obviously- uh, yes, he's squandering money on the metaverse, blah, blah, blah. But <laughs> Change the name. That would have been 20 mil. You know, yeah, did, did you know that- <laughs> Can they change it back to Facebook? I did a quick thing the other day. Okay, I'm going to put you on the spot here real quick. 
I'm going to ask you, what is Facebook up in stock price year over year, one year from today ago? What is it? 84%. 131%. It is back at $300 a share. This is, to put it in perspective, it's all-time high was 370 It's shocking. It's actually not that far away. It's just ad spend, isn't it? Well, yeah, ad spend, but also the enablement of um, GPT and these things has made their apps more addictive. Is that a bad way to say it? <laughs> so, serves better content. <laughs> but it's true. Like, it serves better content. So, um, I would just say, for the most part, like, you, if you find people like this that are unique, I, I think about this like a core and a satellite approach. If you're listening to this, this is how I think about it. If you've got a really good fund manager and you've got a core and satellite portfolio, you want to have, like, low-cost, diversified core portfolios. But go and find that fund manager and back them in and be like, yes, here you go. You're in my satellite allocation. That's how I'm treating this. Go for it. Go for it. Absolutely. Just go and blitz the market. I was That's talking what to Jamie before and he's like, my core is this big. <laughs> You're tiny. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but he's got heaps of people that are around the, around the outside doing that, right? He's got a specialist for this, a specialist for that, a specialist for this. I think, fine. I, 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 you know, this whole active versus passive debate, I don't, we don't need to go there because we know the views. It's active and passive. It's active and passive. But in this case- like say, say someone could come into Magellan, and just even just steady the ship. I feel like that as a re-rating. Let the funds management, you know, yeah. return. Get focus on investing again. Well, got there a- was a good decision they made, which was to wipe the loans. Did you see that? Maybe no. not good for shareholders, but they, I believe they wiped the lo- they're given staff loans yeah. to buy options in the company that I think the action will be like sixty bucks or forty bucks. That's right. And they basically wiped those, so the staff no longer have this. Loan hanging over their head for shares that may never get back to that price. Yeah, which is and probably that, a good thing. It probably releases some stress. It might also release people to leave. Um, <laughs> yeah, true. I can see. <laughs> at yeah, the same yeah. Time. Um, the ESPP loans. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the company was funding their purchase of previous shares in the company. These will partially offset the retention payments. Um, approximately seven point seven million dollars are to be made to current employees with outstanding loans. Okay. Yeah. I think like you want to retain key staff, right? And I think the really good analysts and really good fund managers know that they can probably get a job somewhere else. Yeah. Like Pinnacle Investment Management has proven that you can just take someone and foster a really good funds management business. Um, so I, yeah, I, it's it's fair enough. Um, there was something I wanted to bring up because I feel like we had not intended to talk about Magellan, but um, I feel like one of the things that's really interesting about Magellan is it's not just Magellan anymore. They've, um, a lot of people seem to somehow forget this, but they've got early funds management as well underneath the surface. And Baron Joey. And Baron Joey. So they're pr- like, there's a there's a fair bit going on underneath the surface that at, at, at a price, it would make it interesting. So I think people should be trying to figure that out. At the moment, they're just losing a lot of uh, institutional clients. And it can show that any turnaround can take a long time. So yeah. we probably, we held it. We didn't sell it as early as we should. Um Mm-hmm. But even with the value there, it's gone from ignore the 40 to 20. It's then gone down another 70% from mm. 20 bucks to six. Mm. And at all, all points, it still looked cheap. Like it's looked cheap and it's got cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. And not much. Like they've got 35 billion. So they're still a real asset manager. Mm. But they just keep struggling in terms of turning their ship around and and improving the narrative again. Mm. It's a uh, it's a business that I hope does well because I actually think that they are. I think they have a very sound investment process, and I think 
I think at $100 billion, frankly, I think it was probably too much fun for anyone to handle in that type of world, like a high growth kind of COVID market. We mentioned last week that Magellan Global Fund was switching to close-ended. Yeah, they were. Open-ended. Open-ended, yeah. yeah, Reversing that, which is, as far as I'm aware, that's a pretty big decision. And Forager were doing the same thing. Yeah, they're trying to remove the list of trust. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. going to an unlisted trust because yes. but for both of them, their their NTA, the share price was trading at a fifteen to twenty percent discount to their NTA. So long holding shareholders, yeah, could only sell at a discount to the value of the assets. Yeah, Steve had a really good comment on Twitter. Shout out to Steve Johnson from Forager. Um, someone said, well, "Why don't you just keep it?" And yeah. he's like, "Well, it's not really fair on our loyal shareholders who have been around for a very long time and want might to, want liquidity. Yeah, they want yeah. might be in retirement. They might need to sell part of their portfolio. Why would it's not fair on them that they would be selling at eighty cents on the dollar?" Yeah. Um, and so that's it. When you think about it, credit all credit goes to Steve here, or all of them really, because you could just sit on it. Yeah, it's, and it, gar- it's, it's guaranteed, guaranteed money, money coming yeah. in the door. You could just sit on it and be like, yeah, well, well. But at the end of the day, it's very like it's the ethical thing to do, I'd say, in this scenario, at least yeah. in my opinion. And so all credit to them, good on them, um, having that integrity to do that. Woolies. Cracker. Cracker. <laughs> Woolies Cracker. Tell us about this company that no one's ever heard of, Woolworths Group. Trades on the yeah. NSX under ticker symbol. Just looked it up. Wow. <laughs> wow. Tell us a bit more, mate. Oh, just another round of quarterly updates. So there were one of the issues we've seen is inflation, but food inflation. And they talked about food inflation starting to slow. So was mm. it uh, deflation in prices of something? So the thing we forget about higher p- petrol prices or oil prices, they, they're input into all parts of the supply chain. So, you know, plastic comes from oil. Uh, I hope um, <laughs> transport. All these things are driven, and 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 among other things that have been input, including uh, staff costs. So, but food production and food delivery and all those sort of costs had increased. But they were pretty solid quarterly result, up five point three percent. Then for the first eight weeks, so the thing here is that's outdated data, really. Uh, mm. But then the first eight weeks of the following year is always valuable, and that's up six and a half percent on the prior year. So you're seeing little bit of growth on growth as they get rid of the massive comparables that came out during the pandemic. But they have talked about um, demand being resilient, but they're seeing more and more of the saver families, which is what we're talking mm. about, probably the the ones with the mortgages. This coffee is <laughs> <Tough> strong. coffee. <laughs> Don't say where it's from. Axel. Uh, and they're focused on more on value, so maybe that's a you know an own brand, uh, good in store rather than the Red Rock chips. But yep. yeah, <laughs> as an example. So that's, yeah, solid, solid growth, solid result, uh, or solid update anyway. It's not really a result and pretty good growth across each business. And a favorite of yours is Kogan. <laughs> oh, before we get <laughs> to Kogan. You got your TV yet? <laughs> I'm getting rid of that goddamn Kogan TV. It is. It, Mine doesn't even turn on properly. It doesn't. I don't know what's going on with it. Like one day past the one year warranty. Sorry, Kogan. It's just like, I'm going to stop now. Yeah. <laughs> but, um,. <laughs> Woolworths. He's just got a switch. In no, his the, the Kogan TV has been turning on in the middle of the night. Yeah. It comes up. You know how, what was it, the old green screen of death or whatever those computers yeah, used to yeah, do? Or the Xbox. The yeah. Xbox used to do that. The TV in the middle of the night, it's off, turns itself on and goes, fatal error. And, and it lights up bright orange in the middle of the night. And I'm like, what is going on? I keep. I have to keep power, turning yeah, off the TV power in your bedroom. Yeah, yeah, it's on the wall. Well, it sounds like a bit of a snob putting a TV on the wall, but it's a Kogan TV, folks. It's not like I've got one of those Samsung frames or something. The Bunnings, Bunnings uh, TV rack. <laughs> it's actually, I, I think I bought the-, the TV no, rack I, costs more than the TV, I bought the it? TV and the 
bracket from yeah. Dogen. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm just going to, if anyone knows where to buy a cheap Samsung frame, I'd love that because they're the ones that look like a photo frame on the wall. Yeah. Don't know how it worked for me. Um, anyway, got a question for you. Woolworths, share price only, not dividend. How much is it up over five years? We're long-term investors. Five years. So that would put it, I'll give you a tip. That was October 2018. Right. Yeah, that would make sense because we're in October. 13%. 52%, not oh. including dividends. Well done. I should know that. Okay. What about Coles over the same? percent per annum is what I was going to no, say. Total ret- oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, sure. You got it right, mate. Congrats. <laughs> what about Coles over that exact, exactly the same period? 38. 38? 16%. Oh. It's been a tale of two supermarkets, that's for sure. Well, Coles had a big comeback. Yeah, they and did. And they got sold by West Farmers. And I think where Woolworths invested in price again. Yeah. With air quotation marks. Yep. Low price. <laughs> Low price. Well, you've got to do that when you're in a Investing cost of living crisis. Uh, yeah, well, Coles has fallen mm-hmm. recently from $18. dollars i my technical analysis every day on the show. Head and shoulders. 15 bucks, head and shoulders. Um, don't buy their shampoo. you probably get um, itchy scalp. Um, <laughs> you can't say that. <laughs> so, um, so we're not in- getting any more coupon codes. <laughs> yeah, we're not getting it. We only do, we're only kind to the, the consumer brands that treat us nice. No, Blue lemon, please. <laughs> yeah. Um, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's really interesting. I went to, you know, when you, you're getting a bit older, Drew, because this is what you do. For my birthday partner, Sarah, she said, What do you want to do? I said, I want to go to Costco. <laughs> so that's what we did. I still have never been. We spent, we spent our, not an age thing. <laughs> we spent our Friday night at a Costco. I want to get some of those yeah. hot dogs for two bucks, pretty good value. Um, and Any giant beers or anything? Um, no, they just they two bucks. You get a Coke refillable, and you get a hot dog, which is quite good. All the dietitians like don't talk about that. <laughs> um, but anyway, we, we went in. We bought a membership. That was my birthday present, and we went in, and we're like, we won't take a trolley in. Eight hundred and sixty dollars later, a new TV. No, Sarah said to me, she goes. I could have sworn we we're going to get a TV. I just had a feeling you were going to buy a TV. And I went in there. I'm like, oh, they're all so big. <laughs> that little spot on the wall is not good enough. Um, so Costco, absolute gem. Kogan, anyway. KGN is a ticker symbol. Online retail. Oh, Kogan, Kogan. Said its first uh-huh. quarter sales fell 6.5%. Hmm. Okay. That's interesting. You'd think more people would be shopping online with discounted sales and that sort of stuff. Yep. Yeah, gross, gross, <laughs> yep. gross, Maybe not there. Gross profit. Yeah. Maybe listening to this show for too long. Uh, gross profit increased 19.5% year on year to $37 million. It's actually good to see them slowly just moving out all that inventory. In fact, I probably bought one of their t- TVs that they moved on out. That's what they said. Um, I deleted that bit earlier today uh, from the notes. <laughs> but they mentioned that uh, it was like, it was almost a comment about right sizing or you know, investing mm-hmm. in their stock or something. They'd reverse that and they thought that was about to come to an end, which yep. is, you know, we bought too much stock. No one wanted it. Now we got to discount it to get rid of it. And it's going to take us two years and our profit's going to be hit yep. as we discount it. What do they call it? Inventory rationalization or something like yep. this. It's like, like right sizing yep. when you sack people. 
Remember wow. it was a tale of two quarters out of COVID? People, some retailers were saying we had too much. Some were saying you have too too little. The second half is going to be worse than the best. The first half. I love those. No one had I, any idea. I love those types of phrases where no one knows what's going on, so they just make up things that sound reasonable. Uh, Alphabet did come out with results. Before we get to that, um, I, w- I was I was reading the headlines, classic headline, reading them, and they're like, "Google Cloud slows faster than expectations." I was like, "Oh gosh, here we go." Still double digit growth. <laughs> As I dug into it, I'm like, what are they talking about? So you Google's actually you've got it as a note here. Just yeah. slowed to 22.5% in the third quarter from 28%. Yeah, what and company grows 28% in a quarter? Yeah. <laughs> and the comp and the uh uh the, it's because the it's because management said it was disappointing how fast it had slowed yeah. down. 22%. I think if a company that's growing year over year at say 22% or whatever. That's really impressive for any business at that scale. Definitely. I, I would take that any day of the week. Those businesses with massive addressable markets, if they can maintain that for five years. If you can do 30 on you know thirty every year, and you've probably had this massive kick up in the last nine months where AI took over mm. and everyone was investing heavily in the cloud and it'll peter off as everyone tries to work out how to use it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure it'll come back again. Like yeah. the, 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 I still think the, um, or we know, that the saturation of cloud computing is still tiny, you know, particularly in smaller businesses. Yeah. Oh, it's a, it is actually legitimately a trillion-dollar market, the ICT market for cloud. Yeah. Um, interestingly, YouTube, good results, very good results. Search, back to growth, which is good for them. Um, Solid ad revenue. Yeah. The work, workplace uh, tools, also very strong growth. Uh, other the other division, not other bets, but the other division, which includes a bunch of different subscriptions. Pixel was the fastest growing in its category. So there's a lot going right for Google and or Alphabet. Um, really interesting business, and it's incredible when you think about it. Like all five to ten of those massive mega caps, it's like we've just become immune to twenty percent. They're pretty growth. good numbers. Yeah, you can be over a trillion and still print twenty percent growth. <laughs> You just think about that, like hundred thousand employees, like it's unbelievable. Yeah, I could, managing a kind, look, kind we of we just spoke like about Woolworths point. going up fifty two percent in five years, and we're like, wow, that's fast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this here's Google doing that. So, I mean, incredible numbers, and I think I think a lot of people have got ahead of themselves with their AI craze. It's obviously really important. And I'm going to actually use Google's uh, AI tool in a minute to ask you some hypotheticals. But um, I think the thing to remember, if you go back to 20, I think it was 2018, there was a Sundar Pichai, who's the CEO of Google. He came out and did the presentation of the Google uh, assistant, the voice assistant. Did you ever see that? No. Okay. I'm going to try and hook this up while we're live on air. But while we do that, can you go to the um, Microsoft results? I was going to say a good question when we talk about all these global companies is how do you invest in them? Yeah. So we've talked about Fang. I like to bring Fang up as often as I can. Naturally. Um, <laughs> but there's so many ways to add Alphabet to your portfolio now. Do you still own Fang? I do. I haven't sold it yet. Wow. Um, so Fang holds like 10 of the biggest Fang or technology and consumer stocks, including Alphabet, Facebook, Meta, uh, Netflix, and all those companies. You can buy these through something like Perla. Yep. You yep. can buy it through Comsec International. Yep. Like there's so many different ways to access Alphabet as well as doing it through. You could buy an S&P 500 ETF and Alphabet's going to be one of the top five holdings in it. Actually, it reminded me of something. B 
BetaShares Direct came out this week. Yep. BetaShares has launched its uh, brokerage platform. It's similar to Vanguard. I'm pretty sure I could be wrong. Sorry, BetaShares. I think you can buy any, Everyone. any ETF. For nothing. Yeah. Yeah. And for nothing. Which is a big step in the uh, direction of all of these players coming downstream, like all of the big asset managers coming downstream. Mirai. Mirai. And investing in technology. They've got wonderful software teams. And like, a, for example, BetaShares have been working on this for a long time, as far as I know. And so all credit to them, recognizing that there's more potential there. Um, okay. And uh, I can now connect. I think I can connect. Oh, you're going to play something. I'm always, I'm always getting nervous. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I sound like Kate. <laughs> What's Sorry, on that Kate. computer over there? Um, what are you going to play, Owen? Okay, money, uh, money, money, money. Yeah. Um, no, I'm going to try and get up. So some people will have known this because I remember sharing this with the Rask Invest members. This is back in 2018. Um, I'm going to bring up Sunday. There we go. Um, you go to Microsoft while, while I can bring this up for folks. Oh, good. So we had Microsoft. Uh, well known for being the one of the biggest investors in OpenAI or ChatGPT that they're using now. Mm. Uh, had a much better result than Alphabet. I think you say much better. Yep. Revenue jumped 13%. But anyone who's been playing around on whoever you know, we use, Azure or is it Office 365 across yep. our businesses? Copilot. Yeah. I haven't even seen Copilot yet. Every weekend I have on a list of jobs to do and one of them is to play around with all the automations in Microsoft and I don't ever get anywhere near it. <laughs> I just go manual type. <laughs> just type. <laughs> Uh, or ask people to help me, um, but basically they've he, the CEO Satya Nadella is trying to you know, has been integrating AI into every part of the Microsoft and the Office platform. So you can see predictive text is getting better mm. on your phone in in Apple. Um, all kinds of little things being added to it. And I think they said they so the cloud internet arm, similar to um, not Amazon, but we talking about Alphabet. Yep. We're up 24%, so slightly better. Yeah, but a bit off a bigger base. Yep. Yeah, and off a much bigger base. Yeah. Uh, and profit was up 27% for the business itself. So, solid, solid result. Uh, and revenues across the business were up 13 So, you see headline revenue is 13 but what's driving it is still cloud. And why do you need cloud? Because to have AI running yeah. at the front, it requires a lot of processing power at the back. Well, that does no all of it. do it in-house. As far yeah. as I'm aware. Well, Microsoft houses all of OpenAI's yeah. growing cloud presence or yeah. processing presence. Um, what's interesting is I was speaking to uh, Richard White, CEO, I think CEO is the title. He's founder of WiseTech, yep. obviously one of the ASX's best software companies, and they instantly took up Copilot for all of their um, Microsoft this is a, It basically sits next to you and helps you do whatever, like you could- Send an email. Do I've a seen people where you can do a meeting on Teams, you can ask it to take dot point uh, notes and automatically put that into a draft email and all you have to do is press send <laughs> or check it and send. You can so probably good. get to send by itself if, Pro if you trust it. The productivity is out of this world. I remember they wanted to do the same thing with LinkedIn back in the day. I'm not a Microsoft ecosystem user, but you, the, the idea with them acquiring LinkedIn, when Microsoft, um, Satya Nadella's plan back then was that if you didn't know the email address of someone, a little widget would pop up in the corner and say, send to this person via LinkedIn. Yeah. And you could send directly to them and they were going to build this whole ecosystem around it, but I don't think that worked. Anyway, so what I'm about to- sh So Microsoft shares were up 5%. Google down six. Okay. On the day. I don't know if this is going to work, but we're going to find out anyway. I'm nervous. Let's bring, bring our local CEO into the... No, okay. I don't have any audio coming through. Uh, this is a problem, Drew. Let's just bring this up. Okay. 
60% of small businesses okay. so this, don't have this, an this, what you're about to hear is a presentation from the CEO of Google. Impromptu as well, just, just to let everyone know yeah, we do talk. not prepare for this. <laughs> we do not have the DJ in the studio <laughs> today. Uh, talking about uh, one of the voice assistants making a phone call. So you tell the voice assistant, can you make me a phone call at the hairdressers? And this is what happens. Okay, here we go. I have an online booking system set up. We think AI can help with this problem. So let's go back to this example. Let's say you want to ask Google Was it this year? to make you a haircut appointment on Tuesday between 10 and noon. What happens is the Google Assistant makes the call seamlessly in the background for you. So what you're going to hear is the Google Assistant actually calling a real salon to schedule the appointment for you. Let's listen. <laughs> sure you could just call yourself. Oh, yeah, you think so. What's happening out here? Hi, I'm calling to book a woman's haircut for a client. Um, so that's the AI. I'm looking for something on May 3rd. Sure, give me one second. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure, what time are you looking for around? At 12 p.m. We do not have a 12 p.m. available. The closest we have to that is a 1.15. Do you have anything between 10 a.m. and uh, 12 p.m.? Depending on what service she would like, what service is she looking for? Just a woman's haircut for now. Okay, we have a 10 o'clock. <laughs> like, oh, dead time. 10 a.m. is fine. Okay, what's her first name? Her first name is Lisa. Okay, perfect. So I will see Lisa at 10 o'clock on May 3rd. Okay, great. Thanks. Great. Have a great day. Bye. So that was the... That was the call that happened between the voice system once you tell it what to do. But we well, just go with 10 a.m. initially rather than confuse and stuff. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but the next one is they call, I think it's like a, I don't know if it's a Chinese restaurant or something, but something goes wrong Yeah. and everyone's confused because there's a lot of background <laughs> noise. But the AI still works out that something was um, amiss and it yeah. still manages to hang up the call. <laughs> but then there was, after they did this, right, after this, it's like yeah. called the, the Google Glass thing. After they did this, then they tried to roll it out and everyone was like, well, how do we know if it's an AI talking to us or not? And so there was a lot of concerns around that. And so they didn't actually, as far as I'm aware, they didn't end up rolling this out. Globally. This is a while ago too, wasn't it? Well, this is the thing and this is the point I'm trying to make. This was five years ago. Jeez. Yep. So people think that these GPT language model things are all brand new type models, but they're not. This is something that they've been talking about for 10 years. Yeah. And so I think that people at the moment have got really far ahead of themselves because they've got the first real example of what a language model looks like. But these types of things built on machine learning have been around for a long time. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Amazon and Netflix are based on AI and machine yeah. learning too. That's why you always get a new show pop up. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And um, so, I, yeah, I think, it's a, I think it's a sustainable growth, but I just want everyone to be aware that, you know, it's not something you need to get ahead of yourself on. Okay. So, I did ask Google Bard while we're on the topic of Alphabet's results. So, I'll give you three hypotheticals. Actually, I'll just give you one of them because only one of them was that fun. I asked Google Bard, can you give me three funny but hypothetical investing questions to ask someone? I should have said Dr. Andrew Derrimuth. Um, and this is one that stood out to me, which I think you have particular expertise in. God, this is very nervous. Are you doing this live? Yep. Yes. If you could invest in a new cryptocurrency called Dogecoin 2, the Dodge Ginning, <laughs> would you do it and why or why not? No. I, ref I just personally, I think there's going to be some haters, I'm sure. <laughs> I just refuse to invest in crypto. Really? I, yeah, I don't I, It just has hype and it doesn't seem like it has any real 
use apart from speculation. And that's fine. Like gambling, speculation, all that sort of stuff is completely fine. Um, I'm boring. We were talking about it before. I'm more proudly boring. I keep being told not to say this. But <laughs> if I'm investing money for retirees, I want any level of certainty. I don't want things that can go to zero is probably the main mm. rule that I have mm. personally. And uh, um, I mean, anything technically can probably go to zero, but with higher probability of going to zero. Fair enough. So it's yeah. a hard note. You got to protect people's money in retirement, yeah. right? It's anyone's money, but in particular, your clients trust you. And that's fair enough. But here's the second thing. I did open a Coinbase account and a wallet, a cold wallet, yeah. <laughs> but didn't know what to do. Okay. Um, well, this is probably one that's more down your alley then. So this is a third question it gave me. I won't give you the first one. It's horrible. <laughs> uh, if you could invest in a new company that sells AI-powered financial advisors that are guaranteed to make you money, but they're also kind of creepy, <laughs> would you do it? I think most advisors are a bit creepy, so I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but this is, um, I think this is the implication. So, if you think about that, for like for the finance industry, a lot of people are underserved, right? Yeah. Particularly younger people or people in their middle age who want to see a financial advisor, but don't actually know what to do. These tools can actually help software engineers and fintechs or financial technology companies give financial advice based on like reasonable things, not like really esoteric or complicated things. But you could use these language models to plug into your platform and offer some type of financial advice where someone can ask a realistic question based on their scenario yeah. and it gives a general response. I'm not saying that that's going to happen, but I could see that happening in the future. It's really hard to deliver. Like the one of the challenges we have is that advice in general has been linked to investments, Yeah, but it's so much more than that. We were talking about it It's a human morning, element yeah, ahead of this. And most strategy and most advice that people with smaller balances who tend to be accumulators and people are still at work is it's incredibly complicated and personal and it takes a lot of mm. time to do it. So, if you're able to you know, piecemeal this out and not miss out on the important areas by doing it, I think it'd be super valuable. Mm. I like it. Um, great. Okay. Well, that's buy, sell, hold for you as well. Okay. That, that was all I had, yeah. Three quick ones. Yeah, go for it. Oh, maybe we did this one last. Did we do CSL last time? I don't know if we did. No, I don't think so. CSL has been hit by the, uh, the popularity of Azempic. Oh, Azempic, yeah. So, buy, sell, hold? Well, I'd buy anything that's impacted by Azempic. I think we right, did. Good. Maybe we did. Um, I can't remember what we did last time. PowerPoint presentations. Uh, with Copilot? No, just <laughs> presenting them. Oh, no. No, I don't think. Fewer PowerPoints, the better. And Leon Bridges. Don't know what that is. <laughs> what okay, is Leon Bridges? Uh, probably one of the best uh, blues singers in the world, but that's fine. Okay, well, buy then. Yeah. <laughs> Past performance is not indicative of future performance, but sure, buy it. <laughs> okay, we've got some questions this week. Um, please send your questions in via- not many. Via the, yeah, we didn't have as many questions this week. space for <laughs> 40 minutes. Please send your questions in via the link in the show notes that says ask a question. Uh, you can select the Australian Investors Podcast and you can speak to Drew or I. Just remember that any of the information that is, of course, delivered in this show is strictly limited to general financial information only. We don't know your personal circumstances, needs, goals, objectives to speak to a financial planner. Uh, you would have heard of a you would have heard a disclaimer at the top of the show. This is one specifically for the questions. We don't know people people's circumstances, so what we ask you to do is send in a funny name, and you go in the draw to win a prize, which is the Value Investor Program. Um, so you can just write into us. The first question comes from the Investment Slot Bucket, who says to the great minds of the Investors Podcast, interested in your thoughts on the green hydrogen ETF from Globalx. I have been invested for a few years, and to say it has been a wild ride is an understatement. I am, however, invested for a long time, not a good time. Everything I have been reading 
on the green hydrogen development seems positive, yet the ETF has been hit pretty hard over the last year. Am I missing something or is this volatility just a reflection more of global market fear at the moment? Drew, what do you think? I think it's super tough. Like you can tell with most, not just Global X, but most thematic ETFs kind of come out at a good time. Mm. Like they're in the works and then something takes off. So this case was probably Fortescue and the, the massive push for green hydrogen. Yeah. But it's super narrow and niche. So, and while it's super narrow and niche, it also has, you know, there's, there's no individual company that's going to drive that. So you could have one company that does incredibly well, makes it possible to use green hydrogen everywhere, but you could have 10 other ones that don't and you get no return as a result. So, uh, incredibly tough. It's always going to be, in my view, if you're going to use it, it's got a small satellite holding within a portfolio because it's so narrow. Um, I can't see, I don't know enough about the technology, but it seems highly, like still speculative and still a lot of work and investment needs to be done just to get to, you know, commercialization. Mm. Uh, in most cases, I'm probably going to be told that's completely false. Um, I just find it a struggle. I don't think it's, you can have any predictability about it. I think it's wary of knowing what you're using it for um, and having an exit strategy next time. So, you know, you're, you're in there and you may be less comfortable, but what is your exit strategy? Yep. Okay. I think that's fair. One of, the, yep. One of the guiding lights at Atchison. Yep. Guiding lights. Yep. Ah, yep. Golden so, rules, guiding lights. So, guiding lights is from Atchison Consultants and Atchison is one of the business that Drew and Jamie uh, own and sits here in the office. Yep. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I think if you th go back, if people are familiar with the idea of an S-curve and adoption, thematics, um, as we've spoken about on the show in the past, thematics can be traced over the top of the S-curve. It's kind of like an S pushed on its side. And it shows you like early adopter, early adoption of technologies. And then you go up this curve where it gets more profitability. Companies start to become more profitable as the industry matures, it reaches maturity, it stabilizes for a while. And then eventually every industry kind of goes into decline. Yep. Like railroads is probably an exception, been around for you know, 100 plus years. But every industry eventually kind of ends in some sort of decline. Uh, and so that's the S-curve. And if you think about plotting thematic ETFs, you most thematic ETFs underperform over the first five years as a normal ETF. And that's because the ETF providers launched them at the top of the craze for that theme. In this case, it was hydrogen. Um, but the hydrogen thematic, if you plot it on the S-curve, is at the very beginning like it's still, there's a company- AI, which is probably slightly higher. Yeah. Well, you heard before that like Google's, Cloud. Google's been offering something similar for five years. So these yeah. things are a long way on. They're well up the adoption curve cycle, uh, the S-curve, sorry. Uh, they're well past adoption. Um, these things are not at that point yet. And I remember there's a wonderful article on Rust Media. It's called Hydrogen ETF has launched, but is it priced to be the next Hindenburg? Um, <laughs> <laughs> which is a wonderful <laughs> title from Valley Fernando. But- um, I think the thing to keep in mind here is when this ETF launched, it had a few constraints about how they constructed the portfolio. And around 23% of the company, uh, their portfolio was in large cap and 76% in mid cap stocks. Yeah. So you're, in, you're instantly thinking mm -hmm. more volatility because there's more mid cap stocks. But here's some of the statistics at the time of when it launched. At about 30 holdings, the median market cap was 1.3 billion. Tiny. Tiny. The PE ratio, not applicable. So negative. <laughs> the price to book ratio was 3.1. But um, our friend Valley Down did a bit more of a deep dive and he looked at the uh, enterprise value, which is basically the valuation of the company as a whole, to its revenue. And he did the average of the portfolio. 100 times. The average enterprise value to revenue of the portfolio is 28 times. Yeah. 
So to put that in perspective, as he concludes, for every $1 an investor puts into HGen, you're buying less than four cents of sales. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, obviously, the industry would have to grow. EV and EBITDA are usually like 10 to 12 times. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's like, I think even companies like Zero about 10 times. Yeah. And so a lot of these companies launch when the valuations are high. So like at the time, you could see that Prometicus was 102 times, Afterpay was 80 times, Atlassian was 62. This is the top of the kind of like bit of FOMO for those things. Ultimately, it's really important to understand that valuation plays a role, even in ETFs. And thematic ETFs typically ride on the, the glamorous things at the time. And so there are many implications for this, but ultimately what it means is hydrogen is still very early in its um, journey. A friend of mine, I walked into his house the other day and he had hydrogen on the, um, he had a hydrogen and a lithium ETF on the coffee table. I said to him, wait, what are you going to got these for? He's like, I think the most missed the boat on lithium. So I'll go with hydrogen. I said, mate, to be honest, they're both really early stage, but hydrogen is very early. Um, so I think, these things may have a position in very small parts of the portfolio. I don't really have a view on it going forward, but obviously the, the valuations of the companies may be better. But at the end of the day, they're very early stage businesses, so there's no guarantee of future returns. I'd be very careful with a lot of the buying any thematic ETF straight after it launches is my only answer. So I don't know how to pronounce the next one. Smudgen Smudgenco. Smudgenco. <laughs> I can never tell these are going to be inappropriate. Yeah, I don't know what that means. Maybe maybe it is inappropriate in some world that we don't know about. Smudge & Co. says, how does the value of the AUD affect purchasing international shares? Pros and cons, please. Drew? That's a tough one. We're not going to talk about when you buy and sell, but uh, generally, mm. if the Australian dollar falls in value and you have an unhedged overseas investment, say in the US, usually the easiest one, that's where most people invest, mm -hmm. and the Australian dollar falls in value, your assets overseas will be worth more when you redeem them or when you receive them. Even the dollar figure that you got in dividends will be worth more than six months ago if the dollar is falling. If the dollar increases, it's the opposite. Mm -hmm. uh, and that means you want to be investing generally unhedged overseas when the dollar is higher. In our example, you generally, like when the dollar was parity, so a dollar for a dollar, is when you want to be unhedged, not specifically then. Yeah. <laughs> um, and if there's a risk that interest, that uh, the currency, the Australian dollar is going to, or looks like it's bottoming or has a potential to increase, that's when you want to have some portion of hedging in your portfolio. Mm, I like it. And a lot of it is driven by interest rate movements. So yeah. that's why one of the reasons the Australian dollar is so weak at the moment is everywhere else has increased interest rates more aggressively than we have and the differential. Yep. So people naturally want to buy US bonds rather than Australian. Another reason why people want to buy US bonds is because of geopolitical tensions. Exactly. What's going, Safe on, haven. In, what's going on in Israel um, and Gaza Strip and also what's going on in Ukraine and Russia. Um, those two things mean that people want safety. So where do they go? They go to US dollars. And where do they go when they go to US dollars? They typically go to bonds from the government or gold. That's why we've seen gold rally. I think gold's rallied something like 15% in the past month or so. Yep. Um, we've seen cryptocurrencies of all things up 150% this year, particularly Bitcoin. I shouldn't put it in the same camp, but you get the picture. So a lot of people go to these things um, which with the hope that they're borderless. Um, but ultimately... Everyone who's done well, like owning companies like CSL, ResMed, um, BHP, these types of companies that do a lot of their business offshore, they earn, they sell commodities or products in US dollars. When they report their results here in Australia, the impact is that their earnings are boosted. Yeah. 
The problem is you have to pay up for that type of earning stream. So oftentimes you can use ETFs to look abroad. Uh, 97% of the world's stock markets are outside Australia. And a lot of people tend to favor the US over other parts of the world because frankly, the US is the best investment jurisdiction in the world. That's probably even better than Australia. If you think about it, it's pro-business. There's none of the crazy government um, overhang. There's no excessive tax or ruthless regulation like you see around parts of Europe. So America tends to win over time because of the capitalistic nature of it. Uh, and so at this point in time, I would say, Drew, people should, if they had a shorter term time horizon, I reckon it almost makes sense to look at some currency hedge things. Yep. Or at least bring some of those US dollars back into Aussie dollars. Yeah, there's yeah. a reason why fixed income funds are traditionally always hedged uh, yeah. when you're buying overseas bonds in Australia. Yeah. Because the return from fixed income expect to be lower and it can disappear quickly well, the currency, if currency moves. Well, the currency's fallen 6% this year. Yeah. So, the Australian dollar. So, that makes sense. Okay, it's a good question from Smudge & Co. Um, I might go to the last question before we end with a serious one from David Hasselfroff. Um, so, the, the last question was more of a bit of feedback <laughs> for Typo Hunter. Typo, from Typo Hunter, I should say. Typo Hunter says, hey, gents, I love the podcast. No question, but I think I noticed a typo, typo on the Wattle Partners website. Rule, golden rule number eight states, quote, don't be a house, don't, don't be the house on your base case. I'm going to have to fire someone for this. <laughs> <laughs> Love your Thanks, work, Bruce. Typo, <laughs> with, someone had a go on me last week, so this is polite feedback. I appreciate it. So, this is good, yeah. The golden rules. I'm glad to get, see that you go onto the Waddle Partners website, waddlepartners.com.au. Check out Drew, Jamie, and the team. facelift, which is good. Yeah, it's actually looking quite slick over there. Uh, hello to everyone that's uh, coming to today's event in Melbourne. Hopefully, there'll be more around the country soon. David Hasselfroff writes in and says, Howdy, I have recently been given the opportunity to purchase a percentage in my good friend's company. It will be purchasing into a holdings company, which will buy his pre-built profitable cocktail company, shop and events, in which I work at casually and have been since basically it started up. And they have a bar they're looking to purchase. He has future goals to sell slash acquire other hospitality businesses in the area. I understand the high risk, especially in hospo, but I also understand the opportunity. Just wondering if there is any questions I should ask or people I can talk to so I can make a more informed decision. Drew. Yeah, making a form, an informed decision and asking other people is going to be difficult. I think you can ask people that have done similar things and worked in similar businesses. Um, I mean, you always want to know the kind of formals, maybe depending on how the, the scale of the business and, and what you're buying into. Um, there's things like what happens on exit, like if you leave or if the business is sold. Yeah. Uh, one is like, will the company need more capital? So buying shares in is one thing, but if there's a call to raise more money because they need more money to expand, well, you'll be up for you'll be diluted or you'll be up to put more money in. So does it need money? Is it operating well? Yeah, because you might be relied on to put more money in. Uh, one is always, who are you paying? Are you buying the other owner out, or is the money going into the business? You generally prefer it to be going into the business rather than paying mm. someone out, um, particularly if they're the one running it. Uh, well, you need to put money in. Uh, sorry, yeah, are you one. buying a job? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, will you have any input in decision-making and what information are you going to be entitled to? If you're shares, agreement, we'll yeah, you Yeah, you want that. a shareholder's agreement, know what the treatment is in all kinds of circumstances and then what information will you receive? Will you get monthly profit and loss and be clear on what you're going to mm. get at the beginning so you've, you're informed about where your money is? Yeah, I mean, in this instance, uh, you know, going into business with your friend, uh, be careful because it... Normally what happens when you go into business with your friend, you have a choice between the business and your friendship 
Yeah. That's often what happens. And so be very clear about that. And the rules are pretty important there. Yeah. You should be able to speak to a good accountant. That is probably the number one piece of advice I would get and who will do DD on the zero file. They typically get a zero file and the bank statements to make sure that things are reconciling correctly. At the end of the day, you're basing this on trust. But just be very clear, you do want things in writing. None of this stuff like just over the phone. You've got to get things in writing. You've got to understand the risks. Be clear of the debts, uh, what's on the balance sheet, what's not on the balance sheet. To be honest, these things are, these businesses can be hard to run, but given you have some uh, familiarity with working in it casually, they can work well. Uh, I'd assume that your friend is going to be the majority shareholder here, so they will have ultimate control. Just know what you're getting in for, what your role will be. Uh, and like Drew said, all those rhetorical questions are wonderful. So we've got to choose a, a question, a name. I do like David Hasselfroff. I like it. David Hasselfroff is a good one. They're all quite good. Smudge and go. I don't know what that means, but it sounds good. Um, David Hasselfroff, please write into us. You've won a Value Investor Program uh, course. Well, yours free, $499 on the RASC website. Uh, you can get that for free. So we've covered a lot of ground today. BetaShares going direct with its new platform. Uh, you can check that out at betashares.com.au. You can see, oh, BetaShares is sponsor of the show. Um, Bill Ackman and Bill Gross, the two Bills. Double bill. Double bill. Um, maybe they're signaling that they think the worst is done for interest rates globally. Woolworths coming out with some decent uh, updates. Uh, Kogan's, meh. Uh, Alphabet's was pretty good if you have perspective. Microsoft's was much better, though, from a top-line perspective. Um, now we've got the, I guess, the beat that everyone's been waiting for, Drew. We've got the dad <laughs> joke. This almost went viral the other day. It, did, it, was, it was a solid one. You two, I'm going I'm to stick with fish. For this oh, one too. I think you're going to be a 5.64 for the last yes, one. So yes. let's see if we can get slightly better than that. 5.64 out of 10. We all know I like a little bit of fashion. Okay, yes, Sometimes you do. Yep. depends when you, country road, <laughs> when you see me dress. No, country road. Uh, what do you call a fish wearing a bow tie? Butler fish. So fish decated. So fish again. You know, people gave me feedback when I shared that other joke about the fish bank, the river bank, sorry, where fish put their money. People were like, what has that got to do with investing? <laughs> So, so fishedicated. All right. Well, you can find out more about uh, Drew's jokes by going into the uh, the podcast player right in front of you and you'll select ask a question. You can leave us feedback or send us a question for next week. We love questions. Please keep them coming. Please keep them rolling in. Uh, you can head to the modelpartners.com.au website, but there is also a link in your podcast player for financial planning. You can click that and get in touch with the team. And you can find out more about what we do at RASC by heading to RASC.com.au. Heaps of stuff going on. So, Drew, thanks for joining me. Good to see you. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies, and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service, designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. 
You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.